Gar and I, as you know, as we sit here together and, and talk about this, we, we understand accountability and we are accountable for what this team did this year. We don't run away from it. We accept it. Uh, that's that's on us. Locked on Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. For me to be here in the NBA organization, such a historic organization that Chicago Bulls, so it's just a dream come true for me. Live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. This is going to be a process. It doesn't, you'll snap your fingers and it all happens at once, but um, that's the plan moving forward. So kick back, relax, and get ready for the best hour of your day. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked on Bulls, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. I'm Jordan Malley along with Matt Peck, live on Dash Radio, dashradio.com, and the Dash Radio app on the Nothing But Net channel. Live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. Follow us on social media at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked on Bulls. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked on Shy Bulls. Subscribe to the show anywhere you find podcasts, iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play. Anywhere you like to listen to podcasts, you'll find us. Make sure to follow the Locked On Podcast Network on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, welcome back as we're running into our Friday morning episode. If you're listening to this either on your way home from work, heading into the weekend, or you're still at work while you listen to this during Friday afternoon or sometime on the weekend. So hopefully you're enjoying your weekend here as we get into what we're going to see as far as the first actual action for, from Zach Levine. Today's episode, we're going to bounce all over the place. So we've got a bunch of different Bulls stories to kind of wrap up your week and head you into the weekend. But uh, Matt, I want to first start with Zach Levine, and that's going to be the most important topic here over the next 24 hours that people talk about with the Bulls. So what are you expecting, I guess, over the, f- the first few weeks that Zach Levine's in a Bulls uniform? What are you expecting from him? What are you hoping to see from him? And and um, how he in- integrates himself into this system, and especially with the way the way the Bulls have played, and how good that they've played over the last, I would even say, over the last stretch of a month. How do you think he's going to play, and how does he impact guys like Chris Dunn or Lowry Markin, and or even guys like David Nwaba that could be put? potential roles um, heading into the future. Yeah, well, I mean, the guy, the two guys you just mentioned, Chris Dunn and David Nwaba, I think that's the thing that I'm most excited about because it's what Fred Hoiberg seems to be most excited about when he's talked about getting Levine back in the fold and into this rotation. He talked about how excited he is to see him run the floor uh, with that trio of Levine, Dunn, and Nwaba. Those, you know, Dunn and Nwaba have shown through this, you know, the the first half, uh, the, the first half of the season, that that they can do that. They can do what Fred Hoiberg wants to do, which is get out and run and increase the offensive pace of this basketball team. And I think if what we're hearing is true, Zach Levine can add to that because we're hearing that, you know, based on everything from the Bulls coaching staff and health and fitness and training staff, that he is jumping higher, running faster, doing everything at a higher level than the player he was before his ACL injury about a year ago. So the hope is that you start to see some of the signs of that 
crazy athlete that we all know Zach Levine was before the injury right away. And that said, I think the Bulls will still be very cautious in their approach. I would expect him to be at or below that 20-minute mark that Fred Hoiberg set out uh, at uh, while he was meeting with the media earlier this week when the announcement came down that he would debut on Saturday against the Pistons. I think they're going to continue to be cautious, and it, w- it might take a while for them to increase his minutes. And if, if it is something where he's starting out coming off the bench, if they keep Holiday in the starting lineup, it might be a while before Levine actually – puts himself in the starting lineup, and then we start to see more minutes from him. But as far as what I'm expecting and what I'm hoping to see, I want to see the young athlete that is arguably one of the most athletic players in this NBA right now and a guy who looks like he never tore an ACL. That's what I want to see. Yeah, I think for Zach Levine coming back, like you had said, I don't I don't expect I don't expect right away for him to just absolutely shoot the lights out for him to come in and just absolutely dominate. I think just getting integrated back into playing every single day, especially up against in real live action. He hasn't seen live action in nearly a year. So outside of just basketball practices and what he's been doing with the Bulls, this is really his first opportunity to get real to right back onto the court and to play in a live game situation so him coming off the bench is a cool idea too at least for the start just to kind of understand how he's going to integrate back in with some of those players what his role is going to be how they're kind of going to formulate an an option in Zach Levine and whether or not they're going to continuously stick him at the two or if they're going to play like we had talked about with like sort of a smaller three guard set um, when he is out on the floor but I, I think the one thing to be kind of curious about is the players that he's going to play with on the floor. Obviously, Chris Dunn's going to be there, but I'm wondering how much Fred Hoiberg's going to have to use Zach Levine at the three, and I know we've talked about his defensive um, inefficiencies and him sort of playing down down to that downfall of his defensive side, so I wonder if Fred Hoiberg is going to be a little bit of cautious about sticking him at the three, especially right away. I mean, having to guard guys like on a given night, like LeBron James or Giannis at the three um, might be a tall, difficult task for Zach Levine. But I, I think if we see some defensive improvements, especially early, that's going to open things up for Fred Hoiberg to be to allow him to use guys like Justin Holiday, David Nwaba and Denzel Valentine. That's why I think when we were talking about rotations and whether or not Denzel Valentine's minutes are going to diminish. Um, who's going to see a little bit more of that role? I, I think it's going to be now. So now, now that I sit back and think about it a little bit more, I, I think it's going to probably be by committee. Whoever's playing well, whoever's got the hot hand. And realistically, if you look at this Bulls team, whoever really can play the pure three. And I know we've talked about how bad Denzel Valentine's been at the three defensively. I, I think that's the only option right now you have the you have for the Bulls, especially if you want Zach Levine to feel super comfortable pushing him to play the three and have having to have some of those tough defensive matchups, especially early on. It's going to be something I think Fred Hoiberg's got to decide on. And at least he's got a few options. He's got Nawaba, he's got Justin Holiday, he's got David Nawaba, and he's even got Paul Zipser to kind of throw in there uh, and to to try and formulate something going on. But I think if you're if you're wondering whether or not you're going to see Zach Levine move from the two and three, I would imagine Fred Hoiberg is going to probably try to keep Zach Levine in the most comfortable spot at the two um, in his most comfortable role, at least early on. Yeah, I think that's probably what we'll see more frequently. 
Um, you know, depending on who the Bulls are playing on any given night, you might see them go small and put Levine at the three for some stretches. Um, but, you know, maybe based on necessity. I mean, if, if Denzel's having a rough night, and, I mean, we've still seen very little from Paul Zipser this season. I tweeted out uh, something from NBA Math uh, Twitter account yesterday the day before about you know every individual Bulls player's TPA at this point this season and Zipser it, ooh, he is all the way on the wrong side of that graph it is ugly um, and, and you know we've talked about the fact that Nico has never fit really well in the three and he's on his way out of town so I, they might have to use Levine at the three on some nights but as far as what you want to see from Levine and his chemistry with Chris Dunn who are you know the two two of the three focal points of this rebuild moving forward, you kind of hope that they find a, a successful way to play together. You hope that Fred Hoiberg finds a way to use them successfully as the two pieces of this backcourt moving forward. Because ideally, you know, for the back half of this season and then hopefully adding another piece as this rebuild continues, Dunn and Levine are your backcourt. And then you find a great 3 and D wing and you have Markkanen at the four, and hopefully we find ourselves a center at some point. That has to be the goal. So I, I want to dive into a couple other stories outside of Zach Levine this weekend, and um, specifically going into Lowry Markkanen, and obviously to wrap up the show, I kind of want to talk about uh, progressive moves for Nikola Mirotic and um, maybe possibly there being a deal already in place with Nico Miritich, but we can get into that in a little bit. But I want to start with the Lowry marketing stuff because there's two headlines that have come out since the Bulls played against New York um, that I thought were really good stories. So let's let's start with the more serious one, and then I'll get to um, the one that was sort of bizarre. So the the first one kind of talks about Dirk Nowitzki and Lowry marketing and how a veteran coach who had coached both of these guys sort of had an influence on Der- not only Dirk Nowitzki, but Lowry marketing as well. And when the Bulls played the Mavericks to Dirk Nowitzki was asked about Lowry Markkinen, and he had some really good things to say. Um, obviously, he said he hadn't seen a whole lot, especially when he was in college, but said that he, he had seen him in college and watched a half or so, and he said this, um, I haven't really, I hadn't really heard of him. I knew that he had was playing at Arizona in his freshman year, and I went and turned down and watched a half, and somewhere on the, when we were somewhere on the road, I was surprised at how well he moves for his size, how easy he shoots it. He's way more athletic than you think, and I really liked what I saw. And then he has come to this level, and there seems to be no issues for him. His game seems to mesh fantastic. A lot of times early in my career, team switched to my pick and rolls. He seems to roll down on little guys and uses his shoulders and jumps over them. He really made teams already stop switching. If he keeps going to at this rate, he's going to be a great, great player. So I think it's pretty cool for Lowry Marketing to get some some um some positive notes from Dirk Nowitzki, somebody that could is potentially a role model for Lowry Marketing. And I know everybody wants to throw the comps out there, especially from Dirk's rookie year compared to Lowry Marketing's rookie year. And Lowry Marketing's constantly shot those down said, you know, there's obviously never going to be another Dirk out there. I want to create my own presence. I want to create my own person. I am my own person in Lowry Markkinen. So I, I think it's pretty cool. Um, the, the positivities that have come from Dirk Nowitzki and just from seeing from his game, but also 
this basketball coach over in Europe. His name's Henrik Detman, and Casey Johnson for the Chicago Tribune did a really cool story on sort of Lowry Markkinen and not only his his upbringing and his basketball upbringing, but also his father's, which I didn't know about. I didn't know his father played in the NBA, um, and also his mother too has been around basketball forever. And how this coach kind of developed Dirk Nowitzki and developed Lowry Markkinen. I thought it was just an awesome, really cool story um, that kind of gives you a background on who Lowry Markkinen is and also how he got to this point in the NBA. It's really interesting to hear the comparisons that uh, that this international coach who coached both um, Lowry for the Finnish team at Eurobasket and also coached Dirk and Germany to a bronze medal at the 2002 FIBA Championships, uh, Henrik Detman. I mean, obviously, it seems like any time there's a stretch four type player who comes from Europe, like it's immediately the first thing people say is like, oh, it's the next Dirk. But they're really, I mean, Dirk, I don't think we'll ever see anything like Dirk. He's he's very original and, you know, he has elements to his game that are so much his own. And at the same time, this coach who's coached both of them had really high marks to give Lowry Markkinen saying, and, you know, this surprised me. He said, He's more advanced than Dirk was at this age. There's nothing that's nothing against Dirk. That's how it has to be in this business. Players have to be better than the last generation. The development of the game and the coaching is 20 years ahead. And he also said what's missing from Markkanen's game that Dirk has, I think, which is something that Lowry can develop, is the turnaround jumper from the post or the mid post. Lowry has the ability to put the ball on the floor, and he's an excellent passer. I don't think he gets enough out of this skill yet. So some glowing remarks and also some some thoughts from his coach, who also coached Dirk, on what Markkinen can, can improve upon. But the thing that really stood out to me was to say that at this age, Markkinen has already developed a, a, a more fleshed-out NBA-ready game than Dirk Nowitzki. Because, I mean, let's remember that at, at this age, right now for Markkinen, is still 19. I mean, the kid's very young and has plenty of time to develop, and you know, Dirk's pretty much on his last legs now, but he didn't even really become a star in his own right until he was in his early 20s. So good news for Bulls fans that uh, this coach who watched Dirk and Markkinen closely, worked with them both closely, had those kind of things to say about Markkinen. Yeah, I think to dive in a little bit deeper too, to talk about like how Markkinen had come up and how this coach got involved with with Lowry Markkinen, Dirk's old coach. Um, he had talked about talking with Lowry Markkinen's father and mother and actually Lowry Markkinen's m- mom took a whole year leave of absence so Lowry Markkinen could move to Helsinki where the first Helsinki Basketball Academy was opened by this guy, this coach Detman, Henrik Detman. And I think it's interesting too. So there's some quotes from Detman too I want to read for you. Um, It says, Lowry Markkinen was brought in and they asked to pick the best restaurants in Lowry Markkinen's hometown to kind of pitch him the idea of coming to Helsinki and expanding his game. And one of the things he said is, I looked him in the eyes and said, Lowry Markkinen, Lowry, now you have to make the biggest decision of your life. You have to move and get to Helsinki. We have to get you going and practicing. And he also said that he goes on to say that Lowry Markkinen had, had two different options. He had a, an option to go to a four-year path of finishing high school or going to a three-year. Lowry originally had 
chosen the four-year path. But he said somewhere down the road, he had come to um, Detman and said, I've decided I'll do the three-year path. And he said, okay, now we've got the guy with a mission. Now we are rolling. We got him in the environment with the right training. Of course, he had the base. He also said most players who are very talented don't fully understand their talent and potential, at least the finished players. The advantage I had with Lowry as a coach, you have to paint the road, and I could always paint the road that I saw for Dirk. And he also said, too, we work and you keep... You keep on developing these guys. The goal is not to be good when you're 22. The goal is to be great when you're 27. That, for me, was the perfect role model for me and Lowry. Don't try to squeeze everything out early. You let him develop and work with him patiently. You will get more out of your asset. So I think those are all really cool quotes from Lowry Markkinen's coach overseas from Europe, the person that had developed him, that had developed and painted the road for Dirk Nowitzki as well. I think if you don't understand this Lowry Markkinen's work ethic and you, you don't understand his background or didn't know a whole lot of him, about him coming in or even going when he went to Arizona, I think this gives you a little bit of a peek behind the curtains on the type of player that Lowry Markkinen is and also the type of person that he is too. And to, to say the very least, I think if you talk about working hard, work ethic, um, wanting to be great, I think you have that. You have that not only in guys like Zach Levine that we had talked about where, you know, personality and wanting to be great is just oozing out of him. Whereas, you know, you listen to Larry Markkinen's press conferences, you listen to him talk and he's very short, sweet to the point. No headlines really draw out of Larry Markkinen, but you can see he's sort of developing that personality and and it doesn't drive away from the fact that he really wants to be great. And I think that's just another asset on top of his physical game that the Bulls Bulls fans can be really proud of and be really excited for him moving forward. Absolutely. And you know, just just for comparison's sake, because we're talking about Markinen and Dirk and this coach they have in common, I just pulled up on basketball reference comparing what Markin is doing now to what Dirk did in his rookie season, which was the 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 first season post second three peat. Uh, so the lockout shortened season of 98-99, where Dirk only started half of the 47 games that he played in. Uh, so you know maybe because the Bulls kind of threw Markkinen into the starting lineup and ask, are asking him to do more, his his stats are you know weighted as such. But I mean he's he's beaten rookie Dirk basically across the board. Averaging 15.5 points, Dirk averaged 8. He's shooting higher percentages across the board. Overall, 3-point three sh- three point percentage, 2-point percentage, effective field goal percentage, shooting better at the free throw line, more rebounds, more assists, uh, the same number of steals and blocks, uh, and fewer turnovers. So, boom, there you go. So, quickly, I want to touch on this weird story for Lowry Markkinen, too, as well. So, there was a story that came out yesterday that had said that Lowry Markkinen said that Phil Jackson made him eat raw meat during the draft process. So it goes on to say that um, Chicago Bulls forward Lowry Markkinen revealed Wednesday that former New York Knicks president made him eat some some form of raw meat during a meeting in New York pre-2017 NBA draft. Uh, Markkinen said he made me taste raw fish or raw steak and said I didn't really like it. Um, actually, Dennis Smith Jr., who was later drafted by the Mavericks, revealed in August that Jackson pressured him to eat raw octopus during a pre-draft meeting. He went on to say, we went out to some restaurant and they had me eat some octopus like an actual octopus tentacle, Smith had told 
the New York Times. First time ever. I wasn't going to try it. Honestly, they kind of put me the pre- put the pressure on me to do it. Um, Markkinen also said, I don't know, maybe he was trying to get something from my personality with that. So I, I just thought this was kind of an odd story, an odd Phil Jackson sort of thing. I'm just sort of trying to mess with these young rookie minds to see if they're willing and open to trying new things and willing and opening to experiencing new things, which from a tactical standpoint, it makes sense. And it's kind of a, it's kind of an ironic and kind of a, kind of a bold move from Phil Jackson. But I, I feel like this is kind of just a weird, one of those weird, interesting stories that comes out um, like halfway through the season. And, you know, secretly Phil Jackson interviewing Lowry Markkinen and kind of getting to understand who Lowry Markkinen is. Maybe he wasn't crazy when he was trying to trade Kristaps Porzingis in the offseason and maybe Lowry Markkinen was going to be fill that role that Kristaps would have brought in had he brought in a package deal to get the New York Knicks kind of going. But um, Knicks fans are probably excited and happy that they did not deal Porzingis in the offseason. I think there would have been mutiny in the streets. Uh, even considering how funny it is that when they initially made that Kristaps pick, a lot of Knicks fans were unhappy about it. Like, oh, like who the hell is this Euro kid that we just drafted? With the fourth pick in the 2015 NBA draft, the New York Knicks select Kristaps Porzingis from Leopaya, Latvia. He last played for Sevilla in Spain. and perhaps Chris Porzingis can turn these fans around at some point. Um, but obviously, no. now they know that they're trying to build the future of that franchise around him. And as for the weird Phil Jackson stuff, I mean, what can you say? The, the guy's weird. You, you hear stories from all sorts of former Bulls who played for Phil Jackson in that stretch from, you know, uh, when he was an assistant coach under Collins in the late 80s through his final season in 98, you know whether it was giving them strange books that he thought would somehow speak to their individual character and personalities whether it was the the meditation that they would do at practices or before practices or before games or you know putting that like burning sage in locker rooms to like get bad juju out of their out of their playing environment and all that weird kind of stuff. I mean, it didn't surprise me at all to hear that story about Phil. It's like, yeah, yeah, well, that's <laughs> Phil. He's like a weird hippie. All right, so to, to wrap up the show, let's touch on this Nico Miritich situation. We kind of spent the whole, we kind of spent like the whole entire week um, breaking down trades anywhere from the Eastern Conference team by team to the Western Conference team by team. So if you missed those episodes, you go back and listen to those episodes. Those were Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. We kind of broke down every single team. We also talked more in depth about a possible trade to Utah or even the interest from the Detroit Pistons or from even the Portland Trailblazers in Nico Miritich. So we had a full breakdown of those episodes. You should go back and listen to those if you didn't get catch those earlier in the week. But I kind of wanted to update things as we head into the weekend because a lot of things could change up until Monday when we come back. Um, First and foremost, 
is there is there any type of thought in your mind that if Nico doesn't play tomorrow night on Saturday at home against the Pistons, that there's already a deal in place for Nico? And there's been reports out there that Nico Miritich wants to be that that the idea that they're going to move him immediately on Monday is becoming a little bit more true now. Uh, there's been multiple reports on Twitter, especially from people who are connected around the Bulls, that are saying that there is a great possibility that he gets moved right away on Monday. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, nobody believes that he's still fighting a stomach bug. I mean, come on, that happened a week ago now. It's Friday, and Nico got sick initially after last Friday's game against Dallas and has still been held out, was held out on Wednesday against the Knicks. You really expect us to believe that he's been fighting a stomach bug for a week? Like, come on, that doesn't make sense. Um, if they do, in fact, hold him out tomorrow night against Detroit, I wouldn't necessarily that mean. I, I wouldn't necessarily assume that means a deal is in fact in place, done, all but signed and official because they're waiting for that fifteenth date where he can become eligible to be traded. It could just mean that they're very close, or the talks are ongoing. And what's the point in risking a fluke injury to Nico in a game when you're about to make a trade and get get some kind of value for him? So it doesn't necessarily, at least in my opinion, mean that a deal is done. And I know we keep hearing from various sources around Chicago and around the league that, you know, uh, or uh, Nico's as good as gone. The you know the deal's already happening. He's going to be traded as soon as possible, aka Monday the fifteenth, when he's eligible to be traded. Maybe that's true, but I mean, right now, to me, it it would be a surprise if the Bulls actually were that on top of things. And not only that, that they got the first-round pick that they said that they were determined to get for him and have already worked out a deal to get that. Because Utah is the team that everybody's talking about, and maybe there's going to be a surprise and it ends up actually being Detroit or Portland or some other team. But right now, I just don't see Utah giving the Bulls their first-round pick for Nico. I, I mean, I, I would be shocked and, you know, we've talked about if if so, there would almost certainly be protections on it. But even still, I just I mean, do you, maybe it's just because I'm, you know, looking at it through the tainted lenses of a guy who's been sick of Nico and ready to send him away for a while now. But does Utah's front office really think that getting Nico is worth sending away a first round pick that could end up being in the lottery? It makes no sense to me. Yeah, that's why I'm looking at other teams, too, and specifically the Detroit Pistons. There was also a report that came out yesterday that said that the Pistons are going to be looking to deal Stanley Johnson at the deadline. And that's somebody that I didn't I didn't expect. You know, there was talk that maybe the Pistons would use him to try and upgrade in in order to sort of make that push to the playoffs. And I, I think that it makes sense if the Bulls are looking in that direction now. You talk about Stanley Johnson. We had talked about him a couple days ago, too. That He's 21 years old. This is his third season in the NBA. He hasn't played all that well. He hasn't played up to his potential, especially to what he had been in his rookie season. But I think 21 years old, plays the small forward position. This would be perfect. The Bulls are so desperate for a forward wing player that they can at least go out there and and use in some of these lineups. And I think if, if you're talking with the Detroit Pistons and they want Nico Miritich, 
I think you pack you, if you can package a deal to get that first round pick to get Stanley Johnson. I think then you you talk about taking on one of their salary dumps in like we had talked about John Luer. If if that is the single breaking part of the deal where you've got to take John Luer's deal on for another extended two years, you get a first round pick that could end up between twenty and thirty, and then you get Stanley Johnson too, who's only twenty one years old that you can plug in right away and see if you can try and develop with this lineup I think that's a no-brainer for the Bulls now it's just a it's a it's a dependent on whether or not they want to take on those additional years of Lures contract and if even the Pistons are really that motivated to bring on Nico to trade away a first round pick to trade away Stanley Johnson which they said that they've wanted to and if it's really that important for them to dump John Lures contract on somebody and so I think that's what we're gonna we're gonna need to find out is how motivated are the Pistons to make the playoffs how motivated are they to upgrade this team and to push for it now and to push for it maybe for even next year and whether or not the Bulls are willing to take on more than just an expiring veteran deal if they're willing to kind of budge on that depending on what they get yeah and you know it kind of is curious to hear that you know reports earlier this week were saying specifically with the Utah players that might be coming over that the Bulls didn't want to take on a contract that was beyond this season. They wanted a first-round pick and an expiring deal, but they also earlier this season and this summer said, we've got this cap flexibility, and as as far as the way we use that, it can be a variety of things. It might not necessarily be going after a big-name free agent in the next year or two. It might be taking on bad contracts and you know getting um, uh, assets along with them, a.k.a. draft picks. So that is still at least or was at some point a part of their thinking, a part of their philosophy of what they might do with this cap flexibility that they have. And a deal with Detroit could certainly work that way. Maybe the Bulls and their front office and and Hoiberg, maybe they're all high on Stanley Johnson, who, as you mentioned, at 21 and a small forward fits kind of right in line with the timeline of what the Bulls are doing and what the Bulls need right now because – we were just talking about how you have done. You have Levine coming back. You want to play Levine at the two, and you know you can maybe hopefully slide Stanley Johnson right in there to the three spot because nobody else is playing like they earned or deserve that spot on this Bulls roster right now. So hypothetically, maybe that's the deal that's already in place, and it's not Utah, and it's Detroit. Well, that's good about dude here on Locked On Bulls. You can follow us on social media at Locked On Bulls at Bulls underscore Peck and at Jordan C Malley. Like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Locked On Shy Bulls. Subscribe to the show, iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere you find podcasts, you'll find us. Go give us a five star review. Give us some feedback on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere you find podcasts. We'd love your feedback. Whether you want to send it via email go give us a review five-star review on any of those podcast platforms we're live on dash radio tomorrow morning dash radio.com and the dash radio app on the nothing but net channel 10 a.m eastern 9 a.m central time follow us on dash radio dash radio.com and the dash radio app we hope you have a wonderful weekend please 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 tune into zach levine's return on saturday we hope you enjoy that we back next week with a full week of surprises Bulls news, Bulls stories, obviously to recap the Zach Levine news, and maybe, just maybe, by the time you hear us once again, Nico Miritich will no longer be a Chicago Bulls player, but for Jordan and Matt, we are out. Have a great and safe weekend.
Locked On Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked On Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com, part of FanRag Sports.